0: Hello Cachimbonas, welcome to episode 39 of episode 5 of the Radio Cachimbona podcast. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. As a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans. This was a sad but an important interview where I interviewed Henry Martinez, the brother of Avan Hernandez, a Salvadoran American deputy public defender who is currently wrongfully detained in prison in Venezuela, actually military camp, as Henry Martinez shares in the interview. We discussed how Latinxes often have second-class citizenship in, and how that has shown up in Biden's response to Avon's wrongful detention. Again, this was a sad interview, but an important one. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash radiocachimbona for 3 5 or $10 a month. You get access to The Lit Review, which is an online book club where I discuss a series of books that I pick ahead of time with other women of color. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating and review wherever you use the podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever. You can also support the podcast by following Radio Cachimbona on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I hope that y'all enjoy this interview. Bye. Hello, Cachimbonas. I am honored to have my guest today, Henry Martinez, who is the brother of Avan Hernandez. I brought him on to discuss the troubling case of wrongful detention in Venezuela. Before we get into it, I just wanted to thank you, Henry, for coming onto the podcast.
1: No, no, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, it's just constant trying to get exposure and trying to get awareness. So thank you so much for having me.
0: So can you tell us a little bit more about how I even ended up in Venezuelan detention last year?
1: Yeah, so uh, my brother, as you may or may not know, he's a deputy public defender for Los Angeles County. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, he uh, he was being like overworked as everyone in the public office was, uh, defender's office was being, they were doing mm-hmm. like double workload. So it was very, it was very hectic for him. Um, and so he, he decided to, uh, he wanted to go to El Salvador with my dad. That's where my parents are from. Mm-hmm. And... Um, You know, my dad was, at that time, he had a hernia. And so my dad was like, no, I can't go. So then he decided to go to Colombia. But my brother's an avid traveler. You know, he's been Mm -hmm. all throughout Central and South America and been to Europe. So he's just an avid traveler. Yeah. So he went to Colombia. He was out there. Everywhere he goes, he meets friends. And, you know, he does these trips by himself and with friends and You know, he uh, he met a friend that needed some assistance with some uh, passport issues. So they went to the Colombian Venezuelan border to get her passport stamp situated so they can fly out to Cartagena or some other beach city in Colombia. Mm -hmm. And so as they as they're approaching this, the border town, Cucuta, Colombia, the lady's asking for where can she get her passport stamp. A taxi driver comes and he says, I can take you. And someone else like overhears the conversation and they're like, I can serve you as a tour guide. And so they take them to like this dirt path. They tell them to get out and to start walking. As they're walking, you know, it's a dirt path. They come across like a post, what appears to be like paramilitary group. She asks, like, hey, I'm here to get my passport stamped. They say we don't do that. And then um, they tell my brother, you know, if you want to come to Venezuela, you have to pay $100. My brother said, I don't Mm -hmm. have $100, nor do I want to enter Venezuela. Then they asked for, like, his ID, and he seemed that he was an American. That's when they immediately put a hood over his head and tossed them into the back of a pickup truck. It's unclear whether these were Venezuelan's officials or not, but— he ended up being detained by the Venezuelan government.
0: That was going to be my next question is where he's now being held. And if you have been able to have contact with him.
1: So um, the very first, you know, I had, this was March, right? I had just came back from Florida with my family from our vacation. You know, when I got home, my dad and my mom said they hadn't heard from him for a couple of days. And so I reached out and and we lost contact. Mm that was probably like the scariest moment for all of us where he was just missing for a week you know i had reached out to the us embassy i was calling hospitals in colombia police stations trying to get some info and uh you know i thought i thought he was dead you know cuz i hadn't heard from him you know i would have nightmares
0: yeah that's so terrifying
1: yeah yeah it was it was pretty bad april 4th we received my dad received a text message from a venezuelan phone number, and he says, uh, it goes something along the lines, like, I have a message regarding even Hernandez, and um, you know, we were just, like, nerve-wracking, you know, this, they're going to start asking for money, who is this, you know, so we called, and he identified himself, he said that he was a public defender for Venezuela, and this is what's going on, they got him, and they're trying to accuse him for conspiracy with association to commit crime against the state, mm. and so... I was able to receive a voice message, a voice clip through WhatsApp, and it was my brother. And um, he said, you know, they're going to do a 45-day investigation period where I'm not going to be able to contact you after these 45 days. Obviously, they don't have nothing on me, so I should be free. Everything's going to be okay. Mm. And then um, next thing you know, it was about 57 days later where I got the first phone call from him but by then he was already in Caracas the capital of Venezuela Mm. in a uh, military counterintelligence prison oh my god that's where he's at right now
0: how is he holding up through all of this because you mentioned that he was hopeful of having some kind of due process and being let out after 45 days but he's still detained and how is he holding up
1: yeah I mean right now he's he he sent me a letter he's coming to like the realization that this is this is going to take quite some time unfortunately and um you know i try to give him some maintain his spirits high you know i'm not i'm not a motivational speaker but you know i just tell him that we're fighting hard for him and that he'll be home soon and it gets tough these conversations with him because sometimes they get repetitive you know like i love you you know we miss you to stay strong and uh you know we seem to get nowhere with the u.s government so yeah at the beginning he thought he i felt like he had faith in in the u.s government trying to get him out but as time quickly passed like that's not the case you know he's still there 16 months later we still have no clue when he'll be free
0: How has the U.S. government responded, if at all? You know, I saw that they classified him as wrongfully detained. But what else have they done, if anything?
1: Yeah. So, you know, entering this arena of hostage uh, and wrongful detention, um, it's been an eye opening on how government works. There's no roadmap on what to expect. You know, Brittany Griner, I believe her her case got wrongfully mm-hmm. detained about 72 days. Evan, I can't pronounce his last name, Kravichkovich from the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. His uh, wrongful detention took about a couple weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In my brother's case, it took about seven months, mm-hmm. which was very frustrating. You know, those first seven months, we were with Consular's Affair. And they didn't provide any information, very one-way street communication. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you followed the whole Venezuela uh, hostage and and wrongful detention, but in October, there was a prisoner exchange, two of Maduro's wife's nephew, for seven Americans. Mm. And this was October 1st. 24 days later, my brother became designated wrongfully detained. And so I always questioned that. One of the hardest moments that we've had mm. was that we've been fighting for this wrongful detention designation mm-hmm. and they, you know, they happen to do that 24 days later after they do this uh, prisoner exchange. So the question bears is, had he been wrongfully detained prior to October 1st, would he have been home by now?
0: Yeah. And by that, you mean like classified as such Correct. and- you mentioned that it took seven months for the government to classify your brother's case as wrongfully detained.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: And so that's like significantly longer than the other cases that you mentioned. Right. Why do you think that that's happening?
1: Uh, we don't know. Brittany Grinder's case, you know, she had a lot of fame, uh, mm-hmm. support. You know, she's a WNBA. Yeah. Evan, I can't pronounce it. I think, The Wall Street Journal. I don't know. Same thing. You know, he was I guess he's uh, a well-known journalist. And, you know, I'm glad that the government moved as quickly as they did with their cases, you know.
0: Yeah. But you just want the same for your brother.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. So why did it take seven months? And it was clear, you know, it was clear as day that my brother was innocent and he was he was just taken against his will.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, what is the Venezuelan government asserting as its basis for these charges that they brought against your brother?
1: What I'm sorry, what was
0: that? Has the Venezuelan government given any sort of evidence for the charges that they brought against your brother?
1: No, no, absolutely not. These are bogus charges. My brother has gone to maybe a handful of court proceedings, which haven't done much. Most of the time they send them to the courtroom mm-hmm. and no one's there. So he'll just sit around. They'll tell him that he has a court date in a couple of weeks and then the time comes and then they'll give an excuse of why they're not gonna take him to court. They didn't receive the the ticket to take him or today's a special holiday. There's no court, you know, it's just random things. The, the due process over there is, is a sham. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely seems like the relationship between Venezuela and the US is Playing a huge part in this. And I think you're right to point out the suspicious nature of the US government only classifying Aben's detention as wrongful days after they did this negotiation, um, because then it makes the US government look more effective. Right. It seems like they're just trying to sweep Aben's case under the rug and they aren't giving it the same attention that they did to. These other higher profile cases that you're pointing
1: out. Right. Yeah. They're every their every move is calculated and, and strategized. So fortunately, we've been able to get support from Congress, uh, Karen Bass, Cam Laggerdub, who recently introduced a resolution in DC these past couple of weeks. We're doing what we can. And um, and and I'm fortunate to be supported by Avon's friend. Since he's a public defender, he has a lot of friends and colleagues who are just deeply invested into his freedom. And so they've dedicated a lot of time trying to help me out. Had my brother not been a public defender and have these types of friends, I think the average American family would just be mm-hmm. in the dark, in mm-hmm. the complete darkness, uh, not knowing what to do. So it's it's very scary for the average American to get caught up in this type of situation.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really important to highlight how terrifying and this can be, and then also how frustrating it can be to deal with the bureaucracy of the U.S. Right. government, which is not transparent at all.
1: Oh uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's been it's been very, very hard, very stressful. Trying to get people to listen and trying to push the government to do what they can. We've been fighting to get a meeting with the president which we still haven't had. And, you Mm. know, he's met with other families, uh, those two high profile cases that I mentioned. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's not fair that we're not getting that type of attention from him.
0: Yeah. And I just have to say that I think Latinxes a lot of times are given second class citizenship. And there's like less of an uproar if in in this case, someone is wrongfully detained abroad. I think not to say that someone's race or ethnicity is a dispositive case because Brittany Griner is a black woman and there's like lots of different things at play, but I just think it's important to name that because this is something that has troubled me about this case is that even as a U.S. citizen and a lawyer at that, working for the government and as a public defender, but still, I mean, ultimately like working for the government. And they're like not moving fast or like exerting any kind of diplomatic pressure to get him back. And with the way that the U.S. portrays itself as an imperial power, it just makes you wonder, like, is this because the power of the U.S. empire is crumbling, whereas it's actually just that they don't care about people like even, Yeah, so I just wanted to name that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's unclear, you know. I know... Most recently, news like I think Chevron got a license to start producing oil out in Venezuela, mm-hmm. and so it's always about. I feel like it's always profit over people. Mm-hmm. I think that's the nature of the U.S. government and capitalism. You know, um, mm-hmm. I feel like they're making gains on on oil, and yeah, I see what but, you're saying. Um, like it's
0: easy for a U.S. based corporation to navigate Venezuela, but it's not possible for them to negotiate bringing a U.S. citizen who's been wrongfully detained back?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Can you tell us more about even before this whole debacle? You've said he was an L.A. public defender. Why did he make that career choice?
1: Um, So, yeah, my brothers, uh, I mean, compared to me, you know, we're night and day. He's a very... Interesting person, you know, he's disciplined. He's been a vegetarian, you know, <laughs> 12 plus years. Mm-hmm. And with the family, maybe even longer than that, with family, you know, we have carnazadas and, you know, we eat pupusas, chicharron. And he's he's very disciplined. You know, He was always about being healthy, very fit. He's always been into sports. He loved the game of competition and strategizing. He's a big football fan. Dodgers fan. And, um, you know, he's someone that you can have a conversation about anything. He's an avid reader, very intelligent. He's a funny, he has an interesting, funny humor. He'd always dedicate time to helping people out. He doesn't have any kids, not married. And so when my daughter was going to school through high school, you know, he'd help her out, tutoring her with math with my younger brother. And anyone else that asked for his help, he dropped what he's doing to help you out or find someone that can help you out for you. Most recently, like he got into uh, bachata dancing and salsa dancing, and he took it seriously. Like he, he, I remember going to uh, Stephen's Steakhouse here in LA. Mm -hmm. He'd invited me, and uh, we'd go, we'd take a couple bachata classes. And you know it was cool for me, but he he stuck to it, and then he started doing like dance competitions, and we'd go and uh, see him perform. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's very interesting, you know. In college, he would take boxing, and you know he was just like a big boxer fan too. But yeah, I mean he's he's just a loving, caring person who, um, if you need help, and and he can help you, he'll help you, and if he couldn't, he'll find someone that can help you out.
0: And it seems like that with that kind of personality and just like general way of being that it makes sense that he would choose the public defender path.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my parents I come from El Salvador. He was born out there in El Salvador. And okay. he he came like when he was about two or three years old. He grew up in the 90s. So it was a rough, rough era. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. um, my parents didn't really speak good English. And I think he... Because he he took he went to UCLA, he got his uh bachelor's in physics and pure math, right? He was just like this numbers guy. And then after that, mm-hmm. you know, he took a, a left turn and then decided to go to law school. And I think that's because he realized that our people needed help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember for May Day, he would invite me to go to protesting. Mm-hmm. You know, he was very involved in, in helping La Raza and La Comunidad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, he, he's... I think that's what it was. He wanted to feel like purposeful for people. And my dad has this story where he kind of tells it all the time that the first couple of years at the public defender's office, he would catch my brother like studying his cases one in the morning. My dad told him one time, he's like, hey, you know, why don't you just go get your own practice? You know, you can make a lot more money and less less stress. Okay. And uh, my brother replied to him like, hey, don't don't tell me that again. I like what I do. And I think like a couple months later he tells him the same thing. And then my brother got like a bit defensive and like, hey, I told you, you know, it's not about money. I like helping people out. And then mm-hmm. my dad like really, really seen that he was serious about his passion to help people out. I think I think that's you know, right here in LA, you see a lot of injustice. And so he's he's all about giving people that help they need. So yeah, it's it's just that's even.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that and you know, that's one of the reasons why I thought it was important to highlight this case because Avon is someone who gives back to the community and we have to show that he's valued and demand his return because the government is neglecting his case. And, you know, he stood up for our people, for our Latinx, for Salvadoran Americans, and we need to do the same now that he is in need of our help.
1: Yes, yes. We need to bring him back ASAP. It's so hard to to figure out what's it going to take. There's been reports last year, you know, what Venezuelan wants, and I believe they want to continue doing an exchange. And so they did it in October. They can do it again, and they can secure his release. So I hope they figure something out because they've gone back... Venezuela. I mean, uh, the US has gone to Venezuela four times since he was captured. Mm. And one of those times in October, they left him behind. They've been there three times after that, and they can't figure it out how to bring him home. So it's really frustrating.
0: Right. On that note, how can people support Avon's case?
1: Yeah. So thank you. We have a petition at change.org. Everything is on our website. Bring Avon home. That's bringeyvinhome.org. We have the links there for the petition. I think we we're up to ten thousand signatures, which is amazing. That's great, but the fight continues, and we have a GoFundMe as well. It's Liberty and Justice for Aven. There's a lot of cost in going to DC, going to Washington, sending my brother some some goods because where he's at, they're not. He's not in a prison prison where you get rec time where you can go check out books at the library where you can order commissary. He's in a makeshift prison where he's pretty much in solitary confinement wow. 23 hours a day. And so that's so terrible. Yeah. It's, Sorry. it's, it's very, it's very rough in the mind yeah. They have the lights on 24 hours. Mm-hmm. He told me that there was a point where he would put a sock over his eyes just so he can sleep. And they made him remove it. Wow. But he's he's a warrior, man. He said uh, that he he demanded to see the rules of the prison. And, uh, you know, he, he's persistent. And so they finally gave him that. But yeah, we have the GoFundMe. It's been 16 months. And so anything helps to keep providing some nutrition to him. And call your representative. Call your elected officials and ask them to, reach out to Camelager Dove who's really fighting for Avon she came in and she came in running and supporting us so we are greatly appreciated for her
0: awesome thank you for sharing all of that and I will put those links in the show notes when this episode comes out
1: thank you so much I appreciate you
0: yeah thank you for giving me your time and for sharing about Avon's story thank you thank you Thank you for listening to Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast hosted and produced by Yvette Borja. The audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans as a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants. If you all love this episode and want to support the podcast, Becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radiocachimbona is the best way to do so for three, five, or ten dollars a month. You get early access to episodes like these or exclusive access to the lit reviews, which are book club style mm-hmm. chats. Another amazing, super, super, super helpful way to support the podcast is to leave a review and rating wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leaving ratings and reviews really helps podcast with visibility. I really, really appreciate it. Bye, Kachimbonas!